My time is yours. I was the last My man standing. I am the man, and the man feels no pressure. You are facing a fuel-injected suicide machine. Fear from the man that rules the world. Welcome to the Vicious Circle, and we are back today. And again, special guest Barry Norman is here with Sid. How are you guys doing? Great. I'm doing great. How are you today? Everybody seems to be doing great. I know we're kind of excited about this particular episode because we kind of want to focus on what started this and the book that's coming up. Great. Yes. So I guess we'll we'll, we'll kind of lead in, Sid. Uh, what made you decide to do the book and eventually this podcast? Well, the reason is, uh, actually, I think it's my idea. I mean, Barry talked about, you know, Barry's writing the book for me. And we just transferred to the platform to get people to hear about it. And so we said, let's try this podcast. And he got in touch with Steve Joyner, which got in touch with you and got this thing rolling. And then, what really, in the beginning, why I really wanted to write the book was about my aunt Joyce, who uh, started the first AIDS clinic in the state of Florida and really got a great thing there that she just left behind. And, and, after we started writing, at first I was writing with a co-writing with a guy named Danny Ross. It was so horrible, me and Danny still laugh about it today. And then I said, Let's, let me get somebody that really knows what they're doing in the final talk day and help me out on this. Nice. So what did you think, Barry, when Sid got a hold of you about this? Well, I mean, I, I was... I looked at it as a huge challenge for, for a couple of reasons. One, Sid and I have been friends now for 30 years, and to write the, an autobiography about someone you're that close with can be challenging because how do you do it in such a way that serves the person that you're writing about, you know, which is Sid, who is, I mean, he's not obviously a passive person in this. I'm not like researching a book that I'm going to write about him. Everything I'm going to be writing about is because he and I are talking about it, the various stories, various memories. Uh, and the other challenging thing is my writing style. Um, I, I've considered myself a writer for years. I, I've actually written two books in the last couple of years, but both were about me. So when I'm writing about my memories, uh, and, and my style of writing is uh, what Jack Kerouac, the, the famous beat writer, calls spontaneous prose. I, I don't write, then rewrite, then rewrite, then try to do an outline, and, and, and then try to fashion each chapter, and then go back to it and rewrite it until it's perfect. It's basically a stream of consciousness, which is obviously a lot easier to write when it's my own memories. So a major challenge of this is, as I'm talking and listening to Sid, trying to put myself in his headspace to write in that spontaneous way so it comes out conversationally. I mean, the book is going to be very, very emotional, very, very visceral, as I think you'd expect any book about Sid to be, And but it's challenging to write it in this spontaneous prose with my thoughts trying to really be his. So uh, it, it's extremely challenging. It's, it's exciting. It's obviously, I know, you know we talked a lot about his life over the last you know, couple of decades, but I don't know everything. So a lot of the stuff he's telling me is new and then trying to write it in that way where I think someone feels like they're, they're on a couch, you know, I know at, maybe at a dinner party, and Sid is talking about his life and it becomes that type of conversation where you almost feel like it's interactive. 
So it's a huge challenge to try to write this one for all those reasons, but it's one that uh, is extremely exciting for me. Uh, I just uh, just started, and, and and as the podcast is starting, you know, we, we both been actually doing other things, and now we're really going to get together and really try to do this. But as you can see from the way, from when you start talking to Sid, get more about his ideas and my style, how this is going to be a big challenge. I think this is going to be a very interesting combination. Because... No, I do tell you, one thing I want to speak to you, I like to say this about Barry. I've been doing things for how many years? 30, some years? 30, 30 years now. 30 years. And the thing about this, Rob, I don't think I've ever said this to you, but Barry's been one of the biggest influences in my life. And I've, I've, I'll say in the book, I've said it in conversations about my life, I've always seemed to have met the right person at the right time. And I'm not talking about finding someone to write the book. I'm talking about someone who's educated me in, in ways of life to uh, say just simple things. You're from the South, Rob. You know, I'm not saying, uh, you know, I looked at race different ways. And Barry has uh, educated me. I didn't know Barry was Jewish for a long time, and I called everybody a stupid little Jew all the time, you know. And he finally <laughs> said, Did you know I'm Jewish? I said, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> so, but again, um, Barry has educated me so much on um, social things. You know, uh, now that I'm thinking, uh, we talked a little the last few years about politics, I think I might, I've never voted, but I think I might be a Democrat, which all these years I thought I was a Republican. Uh, but I really, I think that I'm not like that. I want people that have things, I want mean, people that need things to have things, things like that. I don't want to lose a task. But again, Barry's just been a great influence for me. And he was joking about a year ago, so Sid, you're finally growing up. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is going to be so good to read. Now, you guys have already worked a little bit on it, right? You've you've chatted about the first right. chapter, and what is your next step for this? Well, what we're hoping to do, and we, uh, you know, we told you about it too, was we hope you get Barry's real. I really believe this. Um, I'm not saying this to someone to talk to you or anything like this, but I think the other parts of my life would maybe as interesting or if not more interesting than the wrestling side of my life. I talked about as a kid uh, growing up and things, some things I did. You know, where, when I think of movies or something like that, think about my life, it would be two movies that I would think of. It would be Stand By Me and um, American Graffiti. Well, as a young kid, you know, where they went to that trip to look for that dead body, we did that every weekend. We just didn't do it one time. We'd get between the clock and one, leave the house and pull down rain. We'd go 20, 30 miles to the Mississippi River and back, playing or fishing almost every weekend. And then as I got older, you know, we got into uh, college, it was me, Dad Mason, and I run the cops. I, sometimes I outrun the cops two or three times in the same night. <laughs> and then uh, I'm proud of this, but people think it's crazy. Well, I actually got two DUIs in one night. Uh, that's hard to do, guys. Um, <laughs> I, I, that's a special <laughs> skill set. That is a very special skill set. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Well, I also soloed uh, as a teenager in an airplane. So not many people have done that either. Uh, and I think that sort of, having living on the edge like that, you know, flying airplane is pretty living on the edge. And I think that's what made me, that and being from, being a country person, made, made me be successful in the wrestling business. Really? Yeah, I really do. Yeah, because, you know, to be in wrestling, you have to almost be on the edge or really, you know, jump off the edge you have to almost feel like it all the time. Um, and then um, being from the country, you know, with people, a lot of people that meet me is 
met me, you, you really didn't think I was the person you met. I, that I was down to earth, and people were asking, how do you always stay so grounded? It really is coming from my background, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, my aunt, um, people like that, uh, just good country people. And my aunt is probably one of the biggest influences in my life for us looking at someone and wishing I could have been that person instead of myself. Because she was done much more in her life with that age movement. Um, she tended to take care of my grandmother who was had uh, cancer. And um, she got her job as a nurse practitioner in Titusville. And this is the first movement of AIDS. And she says, we got a lot of AIDS patients, but we're having a place to put them. The person at the clinic said, well, we're not going to have a place to put them. She goes, well, I know what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And, her, she was a missionary before she came back to take care of my grandparents. And so this was, she really believed, she really thought this was the modern day leprosy. And that she was going to do the rest of her life for that cause. And that's what she did. She founded a place in Melbourne, Florida called Comprehensive Health Care slash Unconditional Love. And that was because of her faith. But again, when you got someone like that, you got to sort of keep up with that, you know, what I did in the wrestling business and the two DUIs one night wasn't nothing for that, what she's done. And see, that that is amazing to me. Like I'm going to jump back just a little bit. You're 100% right. When I first met you, I was expecting Sid Vicious. You know, I was expecting that kind of intensity, that kind of, you know, I was scared. And then once I met you, you know, we chatted, we talked, we, we you know, got told there's no lunch meat at Walmart. Like, it's, it's so much different, the person you are, compared to your character. Like, even right now. Well, while we're recording this, people wouldn't believe Sid Vicious is actually watching his grandbaby. You know? I know, you're sitting here playing with his dude. This is the thing is, while you were there witness firsthand, now, the way I look and I guess my size and stuff, the story you talk about lunch meat, Rob was with me, Dave. We asked lunch meat, the guy was so nervous talking to me. There was 52 different lunch meats in front of us. He said, they don't have lunch meat. <laughs> so I went to the manager, and he got so nervous, too. He didn't know what lunch meat was. He thought, wait. We got lunch meat, but it was, I, I guess it just, I, I, I do make people nervous like that sometimes. Yeah. But I'm not like that in real life. No, not at all. That's that's why I think it's so accurate when you start talking about Internet Sid. And, and we know about Internet Sid, right, Barry? Well, yeah, we, we know about Internet Sid. We, we know about uh, no wrestling Sid. And, and actually, the very first uh, thing I wrote uh, no, for, for, for Chapter 1 is, you know, you think you know me. And, and, and it's common for a lot of people who know who are out in the out in public, you know, TV, film stars, you know, rock stars. People see them all the time, especially someone like Sid. I mean, wrestling was everywhere. Live shows, syndicated shows, pay-per-views. Um, you, know, you, you can just see, see them over and over, and people get an idea of, of who they are based on who they've seen all the time. And sometimes the character is, you know, something that, sometimes it's all that, and sometimes it's nothing like that. But people make their own... Uh, you know, they put you in a box, and that's where you are. And it's very, very easy when you're Sid's size and you have that you know, that voice and, and the Southern brawl, and, and that's the profession that everyone knows you in. And then you find out that it's there's so many other you know, aspects that are so far from that. And it's another thing that makes that's going to make writing this book very, very interesting is because we're going to go on all kinds of tangents. It's, it's, I doubt this is going to be a linear book where chapter one, this age, chapter two, these things happen because... As you also know, Sid has all kinds of interests and been very, very influential. He mentioned a couple of films, but music has always been a big part of his life, same as his mind. And that's another thing people will pigeonhole him. Oh, you're, you're a wrestler, you're from the South, you must like nothing but bluegrass and country. And he has a very sophisticated 
musical uh, sense, which, like a lot of people who love music, has affected his life. So he might be telling me a story that happened to him when he was 12 years old and then think about a song, and then that might go into completely different tangent, and I'm going to try to keep up with that, and when I'm writing, we're going to go down that road. And then that might lead to other stories that might be years away from what we were talking about. And this is where I'm hoping that the book will really go, is you're really going to get an idea of who this man is, what influenced him, and, and, and it's going to be like, hopefully, that you've been sitting you know, at, at a dinner party with him on the couch just telling about himself, and it can go in so many different ways and so many different directions that you just don't expect. And then you can say, oh, wow, I felt the same way when I heard that song or when that happened to me or, or nothing like that have anywhere close happened to me. And that's the challenge, and that's going to be the fascinating part, and that's why I think people who have never been wrestling fans might want to pick up this book and read it, because they're going to read about someone that they can relate to in some ways, have no idea what's going on in others, and it's going to be, they're going to take a, you know, you're going to take a, you know, a travel with them as you read the book. This has got me so excited. Now, we were talking about... Um, sorry, go ahead, Sid. No, you go ahead, Bob. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, we were talking about the influence because things that made you the person you are, and one of those people were, was your aunt that we, we've talked a bit about. Right. And how did she have this kind of influence on you? Well, one of the things is that really going off, we're not going to go a lot on how, how my childhood was. But a little bit, we'll probably tell you all you need to know. She was really probably the only real her mother, which is my grandmother, and my grandfather, which really were the only sane, you know, positive people that were really in my life. And that's what, why she means so much to me. I know it sounds stupid, but, um, you know, they would make our school clothes and send them to us, and when she got a job, she saw, you know, she'd send us school clothes, stuff like that. I wouldn't have had school clothes, you know. So she was a big part, you know, she, she was just, she was really like my angel. That is awesome. And you need that kind of well, again, influence. Well, this is the thing is, there is I think there's some doctors never think about writing a book about it, and that's what they're going to call it. I think they're going to call it the um, Melbourne County Angel, you know, because she, she, she really did touch so many people's lives in, in that part of Florida. Well, yeah, you said she started... And today, she just, matter of fact, and I just got back from it, they just, you know, her clinic is doing so well that they just opened up another room and they actually named it the Joyce Good Center. You know? That's awesome. Yeah. Even that, she's been there for maybe four or five years now, and even that, she's she still, what she started is still going. And that's what she wanted, you know? And to me, that is, uh, you can't be, you can't get a better success story than that. She does, she seems like the very giving type of person. Well, she is, Rob. I never knew I've never known anybody to be a, any bigger giver. Never seen her cuss, never seen her get flustered. Um, even in death, she didn't get nervous, you know. Uh, it was really just, um, that was something, too. To see someone strong like her, too, and also as soft as she was, you know. You knew you didn't push her along, you know, take advantage of her. You know, she was, you know, quick to let you know that. But she was a redhead, she was saucy, but she was, uh, she was an angel. And I got to ask now, Barry, when, when you hear stories like this, how does something like this going to fit into the novel? Like you said, that free flow narrative. You, you just heard it. I mean, in other words, the way he talks about it is, is so emotional. And that's what I think, you know, if you're going to write a book about, you know, about someone or about yourself or an autobiography or, or whatever, 
hopefully it's going to touch emotional nerves. And the only way to do that is you have to have people like that in your life that when you hear, I mean, when you Sid just talk about her and you hear the tone of his voice and you hear what he says about her. And hopefully most people I would like to think have had and have or have had someone like that in their life. And especially someone like Sid, that once again, people are so easy to pigeonhole just because of the, the profession that they know him in and, and what it looks like. They might be surprised to find out, you know, the gentle side of him that was probably not, not just because he was around this person, but because they're family. And it be, that'll become interwoven throughout the book. In other words, there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of horrible things that happen in a person's life, and Sid is, is, is no different than that. And then you're going to have that counterbalance with things like this. It makes it makes the complexity of a life that I think is worth writing about and worth reading about. So I guess the answer to the question is that will be the the most fascinating part of the book is to to hear stories like that, see how he talks about it, and then once again the challenge for me is see how I can channel that in in a book that actually does does both that services both well, both Joyce and other people he wants to talk about in other situations and Sid. So. It's, I think that's the actual, what he does the cast with there is the essence of the book and the essence of who he is. Now, with this style, you had talked before about knowing him being a problem. Wouldn't knowing him help you in this sense? Because you've known him for so long, you're already in his head in a way. That's true. I mean, I, I, I've known it and I've, I, I've seen from, from the very beginning of meeting him and you know, meeting when we both work at WCW and, and only from what you know, the little people told me about him, which they didn't know. In other words, he very much kept you know, the profession and, the, and a lot of people there at arm's length because this was his job. It's not how, who he was. And then slowly over the years, you know, getting to know a person and getting all those layers and all, and all that stuff you know, peeled away. So on the one hand, it becomes you no know, very easy you know, to write something like this. But on the other hand, it's also going to be tough because I know we're going to have to go into you know, the dark areas as well. And not every story is a wonderful story, and we're going to go ahead, go into that into that too. And it could be very, very painful. I know it was with writing my books. It could be very, very painful to talk about and to share those things. And I'm going to have to do that. And so is instead. And so it's going to be very, very personal, very, very revealing. And at, at, at some times it's going to feel intrusive. And that's something that we're both going to have to just you know, you know get over because it's the important part of, of his story. So there's a lot of because, like I said, over 30 years we've gotten to know each other. That's going to make it easy, and a lot of it's going to be hard as well. So it, it has its advantages and its disadvantages. Well, I will tell you this: I just, um, of course, I knew it the first chapter, but I read it uh, before we got on the phone, and I guarantee you, I just send this to somebody that you know, somebody read some of the first book that Brandon wrote. You sound like Brandon Walsh. This this actually sounds like me. It might sound too much like me, and I, I, well, I said, man, I hope I really don't sound like this all the time. And I do, I am, I do cuss too much, uh, which I've been curbing now. Um, after the last few years in church, actually, I went to, started going to church, Rob, just because I was going to write this book, and I was going to have my aunt Joyce in it, and she, since she was religious, I wanted to go to church, and I picked a Episcopalian church to try to educate myself as much as for church as fast as I can. Uh, I won't go into why I did that, but I was told that's, church to go to for education for church and uh, so uh, that's why I've been going to church and this really helped me out a lot uh, I know Barry hates me going to church but um <laughs> no I don't <laughs> no I'm just kidding <laughs> no we laugh about that all the time that's right you but gotta no, go to temple um, but a lot <laughs> there you go but no that's just um again 
if I'm going to do something, like write a book about someone who I know as well as I knew my aunt, I didn't, I didn't go to church. I did when she, she lived here, and when she moved away, I stopped going to church. And actually, we're, we're going to talk about that, but actually, I actually leaned towards, you know, maybe being an atheist uh, after maybe just 14, 15 years old. And we'll talk about that in the book, too. But it makes sense. I was told one time by a friend, like, there was no, there's not a God. I said, what do you mean there's not a God? And we were at an amusement park, and there was a group of people in front of us. And he says, you know what, I bet you these are religious people. And we got out there and started getting close to them. You could hear them refer to each other like Brother Bob, Sister Sue, and stuff like that. And I said, how did you know they're religious people? He said, look at that person there, he's got glasses. And I go, she's got pimples, and he's overweight. And he says, religious people have to have crutches. He says, you look at science. Science tells us there, there isn't a God. There's you know, we, we, you know, it's just not true. And you know, now being poor and this guy being rich, I said maybe he's got something going on because God hadn't been working out for me at that point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I really, you know, thought for a while maybe there's not. And what I think now, I still don't know. Uh, after going to church, you know, church only really teaches you to that it's okay to not feel like or question things. You know. Um, I think the preacher that is gone now, but I think he believed that Jesus was just another guy. He wasn't any more than that. And so that's that's the part of religion is you can be think these things and everything, but what it comes to if you're going to church like I am, you're going there because you want to believe. It's just like I, I say this in, in not in a bad way, but religion and wrestling are sort of the same. You know, um, you have to believe in it, and, and wrestling people, you can't. If, Try to tell them this, it's not like they'll fight with you. And, um, oh, hey, buddy. <laughs> nope. you're, you're, no, it's a, it's, dude, you have to believe in both things. You have to believe in wrestling if you're a fan. You have to believe in, in religion if you're going to church. You, that's the only reason you go. You go for You have to believe it. Just don't. For me, this is what's funny about religion. I go there and, and every Sunday they will read the, um, the readings and always go, on the third day, he rose, and I, I think about that. I go, I don't know. I wish they would. And I always thought about Mary being coronated by um, the Holy Ghost. And, and they just saw this on the History Channel. I think I told both of y'all this. Uh, history has done a new thing on Jesus. And they, the Holy Ghost confounds as a big black guy. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. And you can look it up. I'm not making this up. And Mary is this real fragile, you know, little Jewish woman or whatever. And God is this big, sense of black guy. So anyway, that, I guess even the History Channel can make fun of something like that. Well, you know, again, I guess it was also throwing back at some things. But that's the thing is, when I hear that part, the readings and something I go to myself, like, man, we should have just kept that part out. Because that's the point it's for us me to believe, you know, and that's what we all have doubt on those things like that, you know. Of course, that's what I think religion and investment both is, if you no, absolutely. But that's the that's the the thing about religion too. You can you can take what you want from it, and and believe what you want. But you can you can search for other things as well. Yeah, the church I go to. I'm not saying it's a bad church. It's a good church. What I was told from the deacons and Drew Woodruff, and this is the things I like doing on Saturday mornings. We go over there. It's called Pop Tops, and for. From 8 o'clock to about 9.30, we hand out a bag, and the bag's got two cans of Vienna sausages, a pack of crackers, a 
a moon pie and a bottle of water and maybe a little bag of raisins or something. And we give out about anywhere from 100, 150 of those every Saturday. And to me, that's what religion is, is giving, you know, giving back. Now, Drew tells me church is this, that it's a place that you go for one hour in the week and maybe you'll walk across and someone will say, hello, are you having a good day? That's all they really, and to me, that's what I like about this church is that it's not overbearing, it's not pushing things down your throat, you know, so I picked a good church to learn about church. That is excellent. And well, you've also just heard how the, how the book is going to be written. I mean, everything Sid just said, there is a, a combination of him, memories about his childhood, about self-reflection, about opinions, about ideas. Uh, you also notice that when he's talking about these things, he's not cursing because this is not, I mean, so this is what I mean. He's not one person. So uh, the opening chapter, yes, I have him cursing because that is absolutely a part of, of who he is under certain circumstances. Well, and this is this is and basically this is exactly how the book is being written. I mean, everything said you just talked about is absolutely the type of things that we're going to convey. I mean, that was that was everything. That was that was that was conversation, which is what it was. We're sitting here listening to you talk about something extremely personal about your own feelings of God, and then it actually relates to wrestling and and your childhood and, and a church that you're going to see now. And that's what's fascinating, and then that's up to me to find a way to say it just as well as you just said it these last few minutes. Right. But well, that's the thing is I'm so confident in Barry, uh, you, doing this, Barry, because you do know me, and, and then I, I read your book, The Flipping Point, and I, of course, I, I, there was points where I was laughing so hard that I was actually crying. Because I know you, and I, you've told me some of these stories before. Uh, uh, Rob, if you want to read a good book, you ought to get Barry's book. It's really funny. I'm going to be finding well, Barry's that. Barry's a pretty interesting guy, too. We're learning that as you talk to Barry, right, Rob, and film and all these other things. Oh, big time. Big time. Big time. Excellent. Barry Norman, big time. See, there we go. There you go, big time. It's writing itself. <laughs> it's writing itself. <laughs> well, lastly, said just to kind of wrap things up, um, like we were talking about, Sid Vicious is definitely not the person you are. How are things going with the grandbaby today? Because we talk a lot about him, and I know what a, an influence he's having on you. So how are things with him today? He's doing really good. You know, he's, he's like me. He's, he battles with these allergies. And um, he's just, when, when you're young like him, a baby, actually the allergies, when you get to my age, have the opposite effect where he's real groggy, sleepy, and um, always tired, but then, you know, around here when everything gets 70 one day and then 20 the next day, everything starts going, so we're always snuffled up. And But he's doing good. He's um, Actually, I told you, Rob, I'm teaching you how to count. He just turned a year old last week, and he, he's, getting, he's got one down right now. Nice. <laughs> That's the best place to start, right? Right. You only have to learn how to count to two before you kick out. That's uh, right. No, exactly. <laughs> we <We'd... laughs> Nobody related to Sid will ever get to three. <laughs> Excellent. Alrighty, guys. Well, I think it is now time for a question. My time is yours. And for our question, we have Dean from the Isle of Man. What do you got, Dean? Just speaking about all the superstars from your friends um, back in the early WWF days. Do you speak to anyone else, any friends nowadays? Um, do you keep in contact with any old friends? 
Well, there's one guy I do call probably more often than others, and that's uh, Carl Ouellette, you know, was one half of the Quebecers. He also did, uh, what was it, the, um, the, the pirate uh, gimmick, you know, he, but in the, the Pierre Lafitte or something like that. He was a re- really and still a super, super nice guy. And that's one of the things that while we hung out together, he, he was one of those people, his feet were down to earth. And uh, Now, I do enjoy this. Uh, the autograph signing and stuff like that was just on one uh, not long ago. I always enjoy seeing Marty Gennetti, one of the greatest guys, you, you know, always real sincere, yeah. uh, always good to see him. I always enjoy seeing, you know, believe it or not, I was talking to a guy in Louisiana named Charles as a booking agency there, and how he's always a real cool guy to sit down and talk to. Matter of fact, evidently in the last couple of months he was at a little convention in Washington State, and one of my fans, not a fan, he's really a friend, he calls me all the time, Joe. He said, man, he sit down and talk to Greg for like an hour. So it's really cool to see guys like that. And then I remember the first joint I smoked with him. That's always cool, you know, but uh, really cool guy. But it is good to see some of the guys that were, you know, you know, fun to talk to. Excellent. Well, thank you again, Dean. We really- Hold on one thing, too. Hey, do me a favor, okay? When you come to town, let me know. That way I won't be there. and that's internet Sid that's internet Sid I'm sorry man you've been listening to the Vicious Circle Podcast your host Sid Udi co-host J. Robert Bellamy additional research by Pete Marsh the Vicious Circle Podcast was produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Media a division of JX3 Media Productions the intro music Omega Amigo was by The Shaman All rights to the podcast are held by Sid Udi.